Let's remain standing. As I read from God's Word, the book of Romans, chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 24 of Romans, chapter 1. And we're going to get to the end of the chapter this morning. Chapter 1, verse 32. Romans, chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, I'll read to verse 32. For the wrath of God is revealed. I'm sorry. I'm starting in verse 18. (laughs) By habit, verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malice. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Thus far, the reading of God's words, you may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing, the preaching of God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord. Our longing is that we might not merely be those who know what you are saying to us in a a theological fashion, and that we might not only be prompted in the hearing of your word as it is preached to hate the sins that are around us, but Lord, that you would break our hearts, not only of our own sins, but that which is around us that we might be compelled to action. That we might be compelled to preach, to teach, to speak. To defend our hearts from that which is wretched and wicked and vile. May we be a people wholly devoted to love and good deeds. That we might be salt and light in this world that apart from your grace knows only the misery of rebellion. We pray this in your name. Amen. I don't have much by way of introduction this morning. Only that as we continue to see around us the decline of culture in the West, which is where we live, And the tendency of sinful men when they are unmoored 
from a biblical morality will choose some kind of morality. Do not be deceived by the myth of neutrality. For an individual cannot build a life on such a thing, neither can a family, neither can the church, and neither can a state. But all men being made by God within their various spheres of authority and calling are called by God to glorify and enjoy him forever. The antithesis to that is not religious or spiritual neutrality. There are not many ways to God. There are but two ways that we can choose in relationship to the one who is king of heaven and earth. Either we can kiss the son or we must reject him. Now, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul quickly outlines the gospel that he desires to take to Spain. And it is a gospel from faith to faith. That is, the just, those who are counted righteous before God, are counted righteous by faith, holding fast to the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That is why we call it the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we lay hold of Christ's sufficient work for us, we get all that Christ did for us. The spigot, the tap is turned wide open, and we get all of it. It is from faith, the instrument, to faith. And this is what Paul would have the Spaniards, those even who dwelt in darkness, who had not yet heard the gospel, come to know and believe. But there are two alternatives that he paints in verses 18 through 32 of chapter 1 and then much of chapter 2. That both the Gentile and the Jew are condemned by the same law in different ways. The Gentiles have rejected the law of God and said we will make a law unto ourselves in a way that feels distinctly pagan. And the Jews distinctly religious by works of the law, in a pharisaical fashion, no longer depending upon the work of the Messiah, but remember, who rejected the Messiah when he came? It was not the Gentiles, it was the Jews. Why did they reject him? Because they had already rejected the author and perfecter, the fount of their salvation. And they had done so because they had turned to the idols of the world. Here, Paul narrows his focus upon that other way that men choose in order to alleviate themselves from the knowledge of the wrath of God, not by grace in the true gospel, but by running from, through false gospels, by exchanging, by suppressing, by embracing that which is incorruptible and giving to creatures titles and honors that belong only to God. And the consequence for these wise fools, as I called them last week, is that God gives them over to their folly. Those are the things I want to focus on this morning. The first, we see in verses 24 through 31, given up to misery given up to misery, and then secondly, 
The call to give approval. The call to give approval. Let's look at that first point, given up to misery. Now, I've already outlined the sin for which they are guilty. They are guilty of impiety. That is, the practice of a false religion. And the evidence of their impiety is seen in their idolatry. They gave up the worship of the true and living God, and they began to worship idols of their own making. Parents, your children come out of the womb doing this. They are idol makers by nature, even our covenant children. You, parents, are the reason for that. You are the ones at fault, in part, in the same way that Adam, as our covenant head prior to coming to Christ, is the reason that we struggle with indwelling or original sin. And so what is necessary for every man, woman, and child that has ever lived is that we confess that sin in our lives that condemns us before a holy God. We throw ourselves at the feet of God and we cry, mercy, have mercy upon me, for I am a wicked sinner. Now, where does that impulse come from? It is not a natural impulse. It is something that is only granted to us by God himself. It is part of what we call conversion of faith and repentance or repentance and faith. That is, inside of our sin, out of the sorrow, in response to that which we know deserves condemnation, we by faith lay hold of the promises of Christ. That is the evidence of our conversion. And in light of that, we are justified, as though we had never sinned. Now the sins for which men are guilty are heinous indeed. The failure to practice true religion, the practice of a false religion instead, and all the world, apart from the saving grace of God, is part of this wicked scheme the suppression of the truth in unrighteousness, and exchanging it for a lie. And so no man is innocent. Paul has made this abundantly clear in verses 18 through the first part of 24. So do not be fooled by the myth of secular neutrality, that our children are just blank canvases upon the world, which the world may imprint something of it upon themselves. They are not blank canvases. They're black. (laughs) And apart from the saving mercy of God, whenever that is, they are destined for eternal judgment. Yes, little Johnny. Sometimes that's actually not so hard to believe. But do not be fooled by this myth of secular neutrality. It is but another lie woven by the pride of sinful men as they are ready to imbibe any lie the devil would whisper in their ears that exalts man above their need for anything other than what they can supply themselves. This is the sin for which God is judging men. It is a wholesale rejection of the worship of him of scorning their master and then taking another lover. 
It is adultery, metaphorically speaking. And so that then leads us to the extent or the response of God in his judgment for these sins. Let's look at verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. The first thing we see in light of God's judgment is a giving over to uncleanness. We also see God giving them up in verse 26 through 27. Vile passions and a definition for what those vile passions are. And then to further the nature of that judgment in its explanation, verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. What God is doing in verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28 and 29, is he is saying to those who suppress the knowledge of God's wrath against their sin and exchange God's revelation for another word to live by is God gives them the full extent of their rebellion. You can have it. Parents, this is actually a very useful parenting technique. Okay, you want to do that? Then go do it. Have at it. Touch the burner. Go play in the street, right? You go sow your wild oats, and let's see. I'm not saying, parents, you should let your children play in the street, okay? But when they're 18 and they want to play in the street, maybe it probably is time. (laughs) Which is tantamount to rebellion, is it not? And this is the disposition of every human heart, even at times the Christian, that that is not who Paul is talking about. He is talking about a wholly other system than the system of true religion. When we are given up to uncleanness, what God is saying is those sins that you desire, that you are calling good in place of my law, if they're so good, you can have them. And so he gives men up to those things, to the lusts of their hearts. And what happens? They dishonor their bodies among themselves. Sin is not just something we do in our hearts. It is something we do in and with our bodies. In fact, the kind of perversion that Paul does touch on here in this chapter, sexual perversion, he speaks of elsewhere, and he speaks of it as a sin that is a sin against one's own self. It is a kind of suicidal sin. It destroys your soul. It tears apart your soul. And it harms your body. And God says, if you want it, you can have it. But namely, those who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, one of the themes that is woven throughout this is not just the reality that men sin. The kinds of sins that Paul is talking about here are the high-handed sins of systems that give room for debauchery as good religious practice. It's one thing to live in an age, in a society, or even in a family where if you sin, there is a, a healthy level of proper shame. But there's still sorrow, but there is yet forgiveness. We live in a day and age where there is no shame. 
And I go oftentimes, especially in this series, to the sins of the age. But those things are very telling about the moral state of our neighbors. So when I say West, don't think Washington. Think Charlotte Mecklenburg. Think Gaston County. Think your neighbors. And what is being imbibed and adopted in the West, even among the righteous, is a compromise with the wicked. And it is very difficult at times to know where the line is to be drawn as it relates to our hearts. Because we don't want to be so peculiar. Because we want the admiration of the cool kids, right? We want to go out on the beach and wear what everybody else is wearing. But for what purpose? To what end? Or use the words they're using in all the movies. My children are using words now that have literally no meaning. Like, you've been capped. What does that mean? I think it's bad. It sounds bad. I don't even understand. We are divorcing reality in the language we speak and the things that we do from the world that God has made. Now, Paul is outlining one of these systems. And one of the systems of rebellion is a wholesale denial of the God of the Bible for a system or systems... That will do. And there are many such systems. Sometimes they actually have formal names for gods. If you were to go to India, you don't know all the names of the gods because there are countless gods. And they are, to our eyes and to our senses, very pagan in their makeup. But what we have done even now in our day and age is we have adopted similar types of gods. We have called ourselves gods. We are ready and willing to adopt any god as long as that god says what you're doing isn't wrong. It's actually okay. And it's not just okay. It's better than okay. It's the way it should be. And so in the first step of this being given over is uncleanness. But then there is another sort of level of hell, there might, you might describe, called being given over to vile passions. We see that in verses 26 through 27. Not only is there uncleanness, but there is an acting upon vile passions that is not only a violation of God's revealed will in his word, but just in nature. There is a natural way and order that we don't see. Or we see it, but we don't like it because we want to do what we want to do. And so we profess that there is a better way while ignoring the right way. It's deeper down the rabbit hole. And basically Paul describes it as corrupt sexual relationships. Women with women, men with men. Now, you're going to find in social media countless theologians, yes, even men who call themselves pastors, especially women who call themselves pastors, because they've been doing this the whole time, right? They don't know what women are for. Neither do men. 
And what they do is they get online and they say that this text does not say what you think, Christian from the 50s, you baby boomer Christians, think it might mean. It has nothing to do with certain kinds of same-sex relationships. It has to do with the way in which you actually interact with one another in same-sex relationships. This is what we call abusing the text. In fact, it is so clear on the face of it that any good pastor, when they read this passage, gets a little hot in the ears because Paul is describing things that ought not be mentioned in polite company. But he's not talking about polite company, right? He's talking about the kind of company that goes to Lot's house in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they ask that the men who are with Lot come out so that they may do vile things with them. And it's not a lack of hospitality if you've seen that argument before. Lot was not judged because he did not, or Sodom was not judged because they did not roll out the welcome wagon. That's not the problem that Paul is addressing a lack of hospitality. Paul is talking about this a life unmoored from any biblical creational norm. Single-celled organisms, not, well, maybe maybe not single-celled, very basic creational organisms have the ability to go up to another one and determine whether it's male or female. For some reason, men have lost, and women in this culture have lost that ability, and to care. That's where we are. Now, what that is evidence of is not stupidity, that we didn't learn biology, This is all happening while every kid in every school is, for some reason, at school getting a course in that kind of biology. What's the problem then? We don't know what we're for. We don't know why we're made. We don't know the order of things. We we have been, as Paul would say, we have been given over. And this state of being given over is a state in which we cannot get back to that place where we think normally. Just baseline common sense. But there's even a greater state of being given over. And here it seems what Paul is talking about is a corporate devotion to wretched morality. Verse 28 And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what Paul is saying is, in all of their thinking, they have taken a pencil with an eraser and they have sought to wipe out God and God's name from everything that bears his name around them. And their entire philosophy is a philosophy of divine erasure. This is what evolution is. Evolution is not a legitimate theory about the creation or the origin of the universe. The only legitimacy to the theory of evolution is that it is the best way, cosmologically speaking, that is, as we look at the beginning of all things, evolution does a fine job of erasing God's, well, it'll do a good enough job to erase God's name from the places where you find it. 
And if you erase the imprint of God on the trees and the animals and the mountains, ultimately, those who suffer most are those who bear his image most clearly. And I read last week, if you say that man came from a beast, guess how he will be encouraged to act. But the beasts don't even behave that way, do they? Chrysostom says this, For genuine pleasure is that which is according to nature, that is, by God's design. But when God hath left one, that is, giving someone over, then all things are turned upside down. And thus, not only was their doctrine satanical, but their life, too, was diabolical. Diabolos, of the devil. And so what you see, when you see the world, and this is why, children, you have a hard time understanding why people are walking on the ceiling. Why are they walking on the ceiling when the ground will do? Why are they making all these inventions so that they can walk on the ceiling? Why have they devoted themselves to a structure to hold them up upside down when it is so much sweeter down here in the right side up? And these are the kinds of people we live among. The upside down who call good evil and evil good, light darkness and darkness light. It is because we have been given over. And what that means is that our Sin is not merely rebellion against God's law. It is the just condemnation. It is judgment actively poured out because of our rebellion. We get what we asked for. And so Paul is not merely talking about the sins that they commit. He is writing of the judgment of God that is personal, that is irrevocable, that is directed straight at their sin. Because it is wrath that they feel. It's not the universe is against you. So let's stop driving cars that burn fossil fuels. Remember this when Nancy Pelosi said that? Mother Nature is punishing America? She believes in God, doesn't she? A small g God. And that God doesn't like the fact as her high priestess would say, that you're driving a petrol-burning, fossil-fuel-burning vehicle. And so all rebellion is couched even in the same terms of religion, is it not? It's impossible to escape that. And the proof of God's judgment is that very thing. That even in our rebellion... We cannot outrun the knowledge of God that is in our very hearts. Why do you think the last line, the very final attack on the image of God given to men and women is the mutilation of the very thing that is meant to bear God's image? Does that make sense to you? We corrupt the earth. We abuse this instead of good stewards of it. Not only do we harm the earth, we harm creatures. I'm not talking about eco-nonsense. 
But we don't know what things are for. And the clearest example of that is we don't know what we're for. And all of this is the product of a near, in terms of proximity, present, personal, righteous, and holy judge. This judgment expresses something glorious about God. And every man knows it. So when someone says to you, there is no God, not only are they lying to you, they're lying to themselves. And they're doing it actively in that moment. Lies can be very powerful things. In fact, I imagine you've done this before. You can lie to yourself so much that you can erase a moment from your own history. And you go, I forgot I ever did that thing. As some therapeutic nonsense way of dealing with whatever guilt and shame you've had in the past. What does the gospel say? When Pilgrim comes to the cross, what happens as an assurance of his salvation? The burden falls off and it rolls into the empty tomb. I mean, if that doesn't bring kind of a hoot and holler out of your soul and thusly your mouth, that the only place our burdens, our psychosomatic trauma, whatever you want to call it, the only thing that can alleviate that is not more therapy. Especially if that therapy comes from the pit of hell. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here is the problem for the saint as we are struggling to live among people who live like this. They want you to say they're right. They want you to agree with them. Because the only way that you can do righteousness apart from divine decree is through consensus. It's just collectivism as it relates to religion. Children, what I mean by consensus is this. You get as many people as possible to agree that you are the man. Right? You can't be the prom king and prom queen if nobody votes for you. And everybody wants to be the prom king. And everybody wants to be the prom queen or homecoming. I guess that's probably more apt at this time in our, the year. Everybody, come. I need to know what my approval rating is. Have you thumbed up my, my post? Have you liked it? Listen, we are living in such an age now with such trauma that you can't even thumbs down a video on YouTube anymore. You can only like it or do nothing. Let's bring the thumbs down back. Right? I'm ready to thumbs down some preachers on YouTube. In fact, that's what apologetics is, isn't it? And evangelism? What you're doing? No. Bad. It's bad. It's very, very bad. What you're saying is wrong. It isn't right. It's upside down. But they cannot have that. And you cannot have consensus unless every single person that you come in contact with does not celebrate you for who you are. Yes, I'm mocking. And we should to some degree, mock that endeavor. 
this idea that somehow we are safe, what is God going to do at the, at the last judgment? Oh, Joby, okay, I see that you did this particular thing. I say, well, actually, God, I have some people who are going to speak for my behalf, and they say it actually wasn't that big a deal. Well, I'm sorry. I guess I'm not judge of all the earth. That's how we live. And sometimes, if our lives are small enough, we're content with the approval of a handful of people. But in order to build social theory, in order to run a church, in order to have a home, anywhere where there is a corporation, a group of people, all of those people need to be on board. What the world wants us to do is say, not only is it okay... We'll get, you know, we'll, we'll look past it. Whatever you do in the privacy of your own bedroom, right? How many conservative libertarians have you heard say that? I'm not interested in what you do in the privacy. Yes, I'm actually very not interested. But God's law has something to say about it. It doesn't all come down to contract. What is the only rule for faith and practice? The only rule for faith and practice is the word of God. And when the Bible's, when we say faith and practice, we mean every life. Every life should be lived in devotion to the Lord. Will every life do that? No. But does that make the law of God invalid? No. And so what they want is a kind of collectivist groupthink where no one disagrees with them. Here's the problem. I want you to think of it this way as an illustration. You're just walking through your neighborhood. Some of you may do this in October, right? Candy, please. Well, what about those people that think that high fructose corn syrup is very bad for your diet? Uh, we don't go to that house. <laughs> they practice a religion we don't agree with. I want all the high fructose corn syrup. I want the peanut butter and chocolate. I want it all. And as many houses as there are, there are preferences of which candy bar is best. I like mounds. People, some people detest the taste of coconut and chocolate. Listen, there's probably in this country people with enough time who have devoted themselves essentially to the religion of the candy bar or whatever else it may be. Not to mention Star Wars fans, right? Or any of these other groups. My point is, as you're walking down these houses of atomized individuals who practice their various religions, how does any one per person say and give approval to every system of doctrine? How does it happen? It doesn't. In fact, the only way it does happen is this. But the one with the greatest power is the one who gets to establish the religion. The problem with that is this. Men with power wield it quite corruptly. And by nature are creatures and therefore themselves objects of wrath. And every religion that is grounded upon a system that man himself must prop up will eventually fail and divide. Are you following me? 
We're talking about chaos. We're talking about the Wild West, an archipelago of various religions where no one can get along with anybody else because it's a matter of my life, my truth. It's postmodernism that is wreaking this wretched effect in our culture. So what then can be done for us? Number one, we must know and remember that Christ is Lord. That God's righteousness is revealed clearly in the scriptures. And people will say to you, why do you believe the Bible? And what should you say? Because the Bible tells me I believe in the Bible. And they say, well, that's circular reasoning. And I would ask them, why do you not believe in the Bible? And where will they go to appeal? Themselves. Or this thing called science. But we know something about science, don't we? It just goes with whoever pays her best. It is itself now a false religion in our culture, is it not? And the high priests of that religion are whom? The people with letters in front of their names, so long as they are approved. This is the world in which we live. And it's not unique to us. What, we are, what is unique for many of us, and generationally speaking, is that we are seeing the progress of the dev- devolution, the decay of the law of God that was once adopted by most people. So what must we know and remember? That Christ is Lord, that God has revealed his Savior to the world, and that he alone is the one who is able to deliver us from our sins, and that he will not be mocked. He cannot be mocked. He will not allow a system within a system that does not honor him. And so we must begin by understanding, admitting the truth that Paul is endeavoring to communicate, that our situation does not get better without grace. The situation that sinful men find themselves in does not get better without grace. It does not get better without regeneration and the new birth. And that men will continue to perish and persist in their rebellion while they are left in their sin. And so we will continue to move towards sinful chaos unless Christ saves us out of that sorry future. And so really there are just two ways the way of rebellion or the way of faith. Now, practically speaking, do not give in to the demands of the unrighteous in the help to cover up. Point it out. Show it for the vanity that it is. Call it what it is. When Josiah discovered the book of the law in the temple, he did not say, you know what, let's let them have their Asherah poles up. We want to appease the people. We don't want a revolution. Now, what did Josiah do? He used his power to tear them all down. Now, what happened to Josiah? He died young in battle. But we have a greater king, don't we? And we have one who is even greater at toppling the thrones and the Asherah and the piles and towers of those things erected by men. We have the Holy Spirit. Do not be complicit in the cover-up. Rather, first, as saints, repent of your own sins and your compromise with unholy ideas. In a world that is increasingly 
unchristian or decreasingly pious, you will be increasingly strange. Embrace that. I don't mean go so far that no one wants to talk to you because you're so abrasive and caustic in your personality and behavior. I mean speak the truth in love. Acknowledge that you are in need of grace to be saved. And that it is alone the power of God which reveals salvation. But do not compromise. Know the scriptures. Plead God's mercy upon the lost. Pray for your neighbors. And then proclaim to them the way of liberty. Every man, woman, and child you've ever met is moving in one of two directions. Either by the grace of God, he's moving towards glory, or he's under the judgment of God and he's moving towards eternal perdition. And the best that an unbeliever can hope for is this life. That's pretty sad, isn't it? There's some glorious things to enjoy. But I've had some of the greatest moments that are possible, and I've forgotten them. Why? Because they are not ultimate. They are not enduring. They are not, they are not the satisfaction that salvation brings. Plead for the lost, refuse to compromise with the lost, and proclaim to the lost the only way that a sinner is saved. Let's pray.